Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. On Sunday mornings, I preach. Today, I'm going to give you some content from a class I teach. It's a college-level course. It's called uh, Jesus and the Gospels. And um, usually the people who are in my class have read this book. And if you want a book to read, it's a great book to read. It's called Jesus and the Gospels. What an amazing title. Jesus and the Gospels. It's by a guy named Craig Blumberg, who is one of the preeminent scholars New Testament uh, theology in American day. Craig Blumberg is a great guy. His wife is Pentecostal. I think he is too. He just doesn't want to admit it. All right. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some time and I'm going to present to you the class I teach. Now, just to understand this, if I'm going to teach a class, I'm probably going to say some stuff you don't know. And I'm probably going to say some stuff that may challenge the way you think. And if you're in this room and you leave without me challenging the way you think today, you weren't listening. Okay? Everybody got a Bible? Good. We're going to need a Bible because what do you think we're going to look at? We're going to look at the gospel. Um, who, who's taking this class? Pastor, Pastor Caleb listened to me give it years ago. Has anybody in this room taken my class before? Nobody? Good? All right. Welcome to the Freak Show. Y'all ready? Here we go. There are four Gospels. That's not new information. There are four Gospels. Three of them are called the Synoptics. Now, we will work through almost all the paperwork you have there today. Uh, this class was originally <clears throat> eight weeks, three hours each. <laughs> uh, see y'all better listen to that. I reduced it down to help. So we are at um, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We'll look at John individually a little later on. Um, John, does anybody ever read Matthew, Mark, and Luke and thought to yourself, wow, they sound alike? Okay. Anybody ever read John and think, Jesus must have been bipolar? <laughs> All right. John sounds totally different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Am I correct? All right, there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that today. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, known as the synoptics, or synop, sin in Greek, S-Y-N, in Greek means together. So they sound like they're together. Um, there's some stories told. Some of them are even word for word. So obviously, they were drawing from the same source material. Right? You don't quote something word for word unless you have a similar source. All right? But yet there are, what we have chosen to do a lot in the, in the uh, uh, biblical world in which I grew up, and probably most of you grew up, is we choose to synopsize the synoptic gospels rather than let them speak individually. So what we do is we take a story because it's told in Matthew, we think that it should, eat, you know, we should take the part of it told in Luke and add it to the part in Matthew, rather than letting Matthew speak individually about the story for himself. And rather than letting Luke speak individually for themselves. Something you may not think about, and I want you to think about is, 
that each one of those three letters, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were written to an individual group of people for a purpose. So Matthew was written to a group of people on purpose, for a purpose. So what Matthew is going to take is he's going to take the information that he has and he's going to shape it and share it in a way that applies to the people who will be reading the book of Matthew. Luke is going to take these same stories, same parables, and he's going to shape them in a way that is appropriate for his audience. And if you have a problem with me talking about that, then you're going to have tons of problems today because I'm going to show you. I'm going to just wreck you which is what happened to me. Y'all remember? I had a view of the Bible that was not consistent with the Bible. And if we need to get into this, I'll do it in this class. Because every time I normally disturb my students, I had to take an hour to rebuild their faith. We have to do that. I'll take time to do it. We'll only get part of the way through it. But if you're like, well, then why do you believe the Bible? If you get to that point today, just lift your hand and ask the question, well, why do you believe the Bible? And I'll talk about it. Go back all the way up and talk about why we have a is that good? Yeah. Because yeah. right. here's a couple of words you need to know I believe about the Bible. The scriptures we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all of them from Genesis to Revelation, they are inspired by God. Amen. They are reliable. They are a reliable witness of the stories to which they present, and they are, you ready for this one? The authoritative word of God for how we should act, behave, and believe. Amen. Notice. So I'm going to bring up some things, and you're going to be like, what? And that's, that's what you do. Just go back to this, okay? Let's stick our pen in this. The Bible is inspired by God. Isn't that what it says about itself? Yes, it is. All right, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is what? Inspired by God. It's inspired. It's breathed by God. There's literally the breath of God in it. Second thing you need to know is this. You need to know that the Bible is reliable. That's the Scriptures. That's the words the Scripture used about the Scriptures, and that they're reliable. It is a reliable witness of the words, works, and teachings of the early church in Jesus Christ. And the last thing is, it is authoritative. So it, the authority of the Bible supersedes your authority about how you should be, view your life, and it supersedes this culture's authority. Ooh. All right, you ready? Here we go. Let's just do the worksheet. Get your Bible, you got your worksheet? Everybody get one? Yep. Let's getting, just look we're at it. We're getting more. You need, if you don't you have do. one, we're getting more. Oh, Couple over here. There you go. Let's go to the first page. The Beatitudes. Oh, yeah. Now, here's what I want you to do for a couple of minutes because you've got to think if you're going to sit in one of my classes. It's not allowed for you to not think. So you're going to take about three or four minutes and you're going to read the Beatitudes and you're going to notice what are the similarities and what are the differences between Matthew and Luke. What are the similarities? What are the differences between Matthew and Luke? You have a piece of paper, you have a pen, you have the scriptures. I want you to think about it, and then you'll talk about it after you're done. After you go through, you and your table talk about it a little bit, and I'll come back and we will uh, go through. All right, let's start this up now. Um, anybody want to tell me uh, one difference that you noticed between the two? Yes. Uh, so Matthew's is more experiential. More spiritual. More spiritual. Wow. And Luke's is what? 
more earthly. Somebody send that girl to Bible college, right? <laughs> wow, it's sort of it's sort of like she caught that there's a major difference there. What else? Anybody else notice a major difference? Yes, sir. In adding on to what you said, I think that the differences stem from a position of who is doing the writing and who they're writing to. And okay. I think that's why the one leans spiritually and the other one leads more Sure. Spiritually. Sure. Anybody else a difference? Yes. Um, I just got through two of them, but in Matthew, I thought that he was um, more encouraging and giving um, direction through the law. And... Um, Sounds more law-driven. Wow, what an amazing observation. And Luke seems like it's more hopeful and, and making it sound like it's not it's not the law, but it's a hope of belief as you follow. Okay. Interesting. Those are interesting insights that you guys are pulling up. Yeah. I think Luke has a lot more implications than Matthew does. Matthew's more about the heart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, uh, and Luke's more about behaviors. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, who he was teaching to is different. Uh, disciples in Luke and the crowds in Matthew. And so maybe his message was shaped a little bit by that. Yeah, that's good. Did y'all did y'all pick all that up in the back corner? That's good. All right. So what you're telling me is you're drawing conclusions about the recipients of these letters by the words you're reading. You're drawing. I heard multiple of you do it. You're drawing conclusions about who he's writing to, rather than taking the words at face value for you. All right. Wow. So we already do hermeneutics. It's called hermeneutics. It's the view in which you read the Bible, in which you read these scriptures. You're doing hermeneutics already. And what I would like us to do is I would like us to recognize that what we do when we read the Bible, we don't like something, we apply a lens of hermeneutic rather than just accept it. Could you say that again? Yeah, well, I'm just going to say it this way. Blessed are the poor. How many of you believe the blessed are poor, the poor are blessed simply because they're poor? Simply because they're poor. Well, you've never been to poverty then because people are not blessed in poverty. Poor. Do you wrestle with that line? I did not. Pastor Bob gave me a different definition of the word blessed. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if we're in, we're, we're in it's called Pentecostal, have you heard terms like blab it, grab it, name it, claim it? Yeah. Okay, so what Pastor Bob taught me about the word blessed is it's it's like the word quan. Have you guys ever seen Jerry Maguire? I know this is so 
Bad. Tell you what, can I can I know oh. by just giving us a definition of the word marketkos? Yeah. Marketkos in Greek. Marketkos means. That is literally the meaning of marketkos in Greek. I'm so happy, I want to jump up and down and twirl around. Did y'all notice I did a full 360? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old man still got something in this one. All right. Marketkos is blessed. Now what I want to do is, I want you to start thinking about this, because when we talk through Synoptic Gospels, um, they're each written for a group of people in a setting for a purpose. It's a, what they call a pastoral concern. But what I want to do is I want to back up and I want to just talk about the differences in this passage. Okay? First of all, Jesus spoke to the crowds in Matthew. He spoke to his disciples in Luke, right? Alright? Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Is there a difference between poor in spirit and being physically poor? Yes. 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 There is a difference. So... There is a proclamation in the book of Luke that the poor people are blessed. Who are not blessed? Come on, we're going to find out a little later in the woes. Who are not blessed? So there is literally a physical condemnation given to rich people. So those of you that have a house for your car, you are woe, not marketos. You are woe. Woe. That's the Greek pronunciation. Woe to you, Marketos, blessed are the poor. Alright? There's nothing about the mourn being comforted. There's nothing about the meek inheriting the earth. But it seems to me pretty interesting that Matthew is actually talking about inheriting the earth. Especially we'll find out in a few minutes that his audience is Jewish. And part of their Jewish identity is that they are going to receive a plot of earth. Say. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is there a difference between hungering and thirsting for righteousness and hungering and thirsting? Yes. Our hunger now. If you're hungry, you're blessed. I have been hungry the last 21 days. I'm not sure that's blessed. Alright. Blessed are the weak now, for you will laugh. That's, by the way, that where's that over in Matthew? No. Alright, blessed are merciful, they will be shown mercy. I like that one. That's probably one of my favorites. That's sort of a life verse for me. Because I try to be merciful to people even when I don't understand them because I know I need a boatload of mercy in my life. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. By the way, I just am not feeling God. That's probably because you're not pure in heart. Oh! Oh! I just don't feel Jesus. Well, it's because your heart's not. That's cool, whatever that was. All right. All right. It started going, and I'm looking at that. Awesome. Um, there's something to be said about seeing God in purity of heart. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. That's another one of my favorites. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there's the kingdom of heaven. That one's not there either. But there is a blessing on people who insult you, hate you, persecute you, exclude you, say, say bad things, evil things against you because of the Son of Man, not because you're a jerk. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. 
<laughs> Luke, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. Notice the leaping for joy. Um, that's how the prophets were treated. And then there are woes. The woes are, woe to you who are rich. You've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. You will go hungry. Woe to you laugh now. You will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. It's sort of like Luke is saying, hey guys, you don't want to be in the popular world like everybody else. Matthew is promoting more of, let's live a spiritual life and receive blessings on this earth. So, John is a theological retelling. The Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are stories that are somehow passed to us. We'll get to that hopefully a little bit. We'll talk about Q and a few other things here in a few minutes. Um, I'm planning on taking a break in 10 minutes. Is that good? Can everybody hold your ear until then? You know, you know what they say? You're in trouble. My wife is giving me a thumbs down. All right. Thanks, Rob. As you head to the bathroom, you will be Russian while you're in there with European. The Gospels are not history. They're not history. They're not written as history. They are not biographies. And they are not written as biographies. They are more what's called a theological biography. And that comes from uh, Bloomberg's book, uh, which I would encourage you once again, if you want a great book to read, light reading this year, that will read it late at night, you will then enter into dreams in the presence of God. Uh, it's, it's not that easy of a read, but it is a great read. Um, so each gospel has its own uh, literary and theological character, owing to the varied authors, communities, and circumstances that help produce them. Um, and according to Jesus and his Jewish context, each gospel has its own purpose, which proves the integrity of the story as a whole. And let's just get, we'll get to that in just a second. But the fact that the story is told differently actually lends to the credibility of the story. We'll cover that in just a second. A couple more things to say. First century writers, were not uh, they were not concerned with accuracy in detail. We approach the scriptures with a Western mentality. Uh, for us, science and the scientific method says that you must prove something for it to be true. Right? Okay. Two plus two equals five. 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 <laughs> I see you went to school in North Richmond. <laughs> just, just, just joking. Two plus two equals four, right? How many times does two apples and two apples become four apples? How many times? Every time. Right? Correct? Yes. Unless you're eating one, then it's called subtraction. Right? And then four apples minus one apple is always three. Now, what we want to think is we are taught in our educational system to think in scientific certainties. It's the scientific method. And for us, in the Western world, scientific method is the foundation of which we view the world. That being understood, scientific method did not come around until the Middle Ages. The Bible was written a thousand years before then. So what is the core understanding of the entire Bible? It is not scientific method. 
It is covenant relationship. Unless you understand that the Bible is based upon covenantal relationship, you will never properly read the Bible. Because I love my wife. Prove that by scientific method. Come on. Can you prove that statement scientifically? No. You can see evidences of it. You can also find in my behaviors a few that don't look very loving sometimes. Correct? So, I love my wife is not a scientific statement. It is a relational covenantal statement. God loves you. If you're thinking about that statement scientifically, then as soon as something happens to you that doesn't feel loving, you then question the nature and value of your relationship with God or even His existence. But in a covenantal relationship, if God loves you and He allows something bad to happen, then something that you believe is bad, He can make good because relationship with Him is stronger than the facts and evidence. I hope you're catching it. Because what we have in Christ Jesus is a covenantal relationship proven by His death, sealed with God by His resurrection. Therefore, when we read the New Testament especially, and when you try to discern the Old Testament and the craziness of it, come on, if you don't think the Old Testament is crazy, you've never read it. <laughs> what was that? Noah got drunk and his daughters impregnated themselves with him? Huh? <laughs> oh, I forgot. We got some youngers. Don't read the Bible if it's in C-17 that fast. There are messed up stories in the Bible, correct? Yes. The problem is, and what I'm watching with, and, and part of the reason I teach this class is to teach when I'm talking to students. I want to teach you how to build a barrier against the deconstruction of your faith. And one of the ways you do it is you read the Bible appropriately rather than through your preconceived views of how you read the Bible. Am I making any sense to anybody here? Yes. So when we read the synoptics and we read, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor, they can't both be true. But they are. Do you know why they are? Because it's through relationship rather than your scientific method. Alright. What we think, they didn't. The scientific method, enlightenment. What stories, uh, what stories do you tell differently depending on the audience you're telling them to? Do you tell your wife's story different than you tell your co-workers? Or your husband's story different than you tell your co-workers? How about this one? What does this tell us? Every gospel writer is telling us the same story, but in their unique, intentional, <laughs> relational way. Alright, so, uh, I'll tell you one story. When I was a kid, me and my brother and my dad, we were seining bait. Y'all know what saying a saying is? Y'all know what that is? It's a net. Little bitty holes in the net. We ran trot lines. Y'all know what trot line is? Trot line is this long rope that you put out in the river and it's got a hook every 18 inches or every two feet. And the hook dangles off the main rope and the main rope is really tight and the hooks dangle off. And then you drop it in the muddy waters of the back 
waters or something like that, you put bait on it, catfish will come up and bite it because their mouths are so hard. When the hook gets embedded in, they can't get off and they spin around the trot line, but they can't get off because it won't go away. So we did trot lines. Trot lines, though, 150 hooks dropped in water require a lot of bait. Are you all following what I'm saying? So what we would do is because we weren't really rich, we would uh, we would take a seine, which is a little net, and we would go to a creek, and we would walk through the creek, and we would pull out all the crawdads and all the little uh, bluegill and all the little little fish that would come up, and we would dump them in a bucket, and then we would take them, and my dad would use that as bait, cut it up, and use it as bait to catch the fish on the trout. Are y'all following? Yep. Yeah. All right. So one day, me and my brother and my dad were seining. Well, I say we were on 9A, and I say we were seining a, a, a pond. My brother says we were on 113, and we were seining a creek. So, we, all right, you got this? So we were walking through the high grass to get back to the truck. And as we were walking through the high grass to get back to the truck, a snake bit him. Now, he says that he had two fang marks square in his left shin. I say that there was a scratch across his, his leg. And we both say that he went to the hospital that night because when we finally got home and it swollen up and got all black and it was a water moccasin, obviously, where we were. Big water moccasin bite across the leg. He says fangs in his leg. And we, we got to the hospital, his leg was all swollen up. The doctor said, just lay him still. The poison's got to work through his body. There's nothing really we can do. It's been too long. He's going to be all right. He'll be all right. Just lay there. All right. Now, I say it happened in a different location. I say that the snake bite entrance was different than his. I say that uh, he should have died. Anyway. <laughs> no. I, I say that his leg swelled up, got black. He went to the hospital. We were both saying we were saying, babe, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Very simple question. Did my brother get bit by a snake while we were standing back? Yes. Do we know actually where it happened? No. Do we know what the entrance of the fang marks looks like? No. Did he still get bit by a snake? Yes. Everybody is in agreement on that fact, right? Yes. You just, in a court of law, it would be proven that that event happened, even though there are discrepancies in the story. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> there was one time when I got in some trouble in college, and they sat me down with the, let me see, the, the guys in front of me were wearing their black suits, and there was the big white windows, the bright windows behind, and they're all dark and shrouded, and they sat me down, and they had to talk with me and a few other boys, and they said, we know you're lying to us. I said, what? We know you're lying to us. How do you know we're lying to you? All of your stories are exactly the same. <laughs> you guys made a decision that this was the story you were going to tell. Well, of course we did. It happened in my dorm room, and I put them on a bed, and I said, this is the story you're telling. If you don't do it, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. That's the story that happened. So they said, we know you're lying because all your stories are the same. What do we know about the Bible? The fact that in the Synoptic Gospels there are some things said differently. It points to the truth and the validity of it, not to the 
not the fact that it's not true. And when you get around deconstructing people who are telling you that the Bible is filled with errors, they're going to take things like what's in front of you and tell you that the Bible's a lie because it's filled with errors. And that's one of the things they're going to call an error. And what I want to do is I want to tell you they're full of bull crap. The Bible may have some problems, but it's true. It's true. And just because there are things that are a little different, it doesn't mean it's not true. Am I establishing that good enough? Yep. All right. Do you want to potty break now and come back and dig into the four Gospels, or do you want to go ten more minutes? Now, go. Come on.